Thank you, team, for leading us this morning and expressing our worship. And that really is what our focus is on this morning, of worshiping God. The Psalms are very common passages of Scripture to us. I'm sure all of us have read them. If we haven't, we know Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And when you think of the Psalms, what do you think of? Do you think of them as prayers, as poetry, as songs? Well, they're all of those things and even more. The, the Psalms are known as the hymnal of Israel. It's their hymn book. And of course, they were an oral society, so they had all these memorized, and they would sing them often. This, uh, the, the Psalms are quoted in the New Testament more than any other Old Testament uh, quotations. And I'm told that in World War II, devout Jews, or Jews rather, went to their deaths quoting the Psalms. On the cross, as Jesus' life ebbed away, he quoted from the Psalms, my God, why have you forsaken me? From Psalm 22 and from Psalm 31. Into your hands I commit my spirit. This morning I want to have us look at Psalm 63. And we want to look and think about worshiping God in the face of troubles and trials. And so this should fit well with our lives, right? because we face those times. This Psalm 63 was a very important psalm in the life of the early church. And according to um, the Archbishop of Constantinople in the fourth century, the church leaders had, had chosen and agreed that this psalm would be publicly sung every day. And then whenever the church gathered, they would sing Psalm 63 or sing it every morning personally. So it had a very special place, a key place in the lives of God's people. It's sort of like us, if we would sing Amazing Grace every time we gathered or when we got up in the morning, that would be the first song. That's how significant and how embedded in the life of God's people it was. Psalm 63. Now David wrote many of his psalms intended to be accompanied by music and to be sung. And we don't really know what that sounded like, but David used a harp. So I'm going to use a modern-day harp and lead us in reading that psalm this morning. Do you have this on? <clears throat> Glenn, do you have this mic on? Okay, I, I will just go ahead. <clears throat> oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my body longs for you in a dry and weary land 
where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live and in your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. My soul sings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Those who seek my life will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God's name will praise him, while the mouths of liars will be silenced. Do you need to have my USB stick? Do you want it? Are you okay? Okay. Well, Paul didn't preach with computer assistance, so we can get along, right? Let me quieten our hearts in prayer this morning. Father, we come before you with gratefulness. Thank you for giving to us through your people hundreds of years ago these songs, these stories of God's people, of your grace, your power, and of their trust and faith. Help us to own them and be blessed by them, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Psalm 63 has a superscript. It says a Psalm of David. So we know that he's the writer here. And here's how David described himself to those he ruled over. This is part of his last speech he gave, and it's from 2 Samuel 23, and I'm just reading one verse. These are the last words of David. This is what Samuel is writing, and then he quotes this, this uh, message that David gave, and David introduces himself this way. David, the son of Jesse, speaks. David, the man who was raised up so high. David, the man anointed by the God of Jacob. David, the sweet psalmist of Israel. That was his self-description. He was a God-equipped singer-songwriter musician and was God's gift to the nation. So these poems and these songs that we read about in the Psalms are word pictures that tell us stories about God and his people. And so they're God's gift to us, for us to open up and enjoy. Psalm 63 also has this superscript, a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. That means out in the boonies. That means out where uh, you don't have much comfort around. And of course, David knew what it was like to be out in the wilderness. He'd been raised as a teenager to look after the father's flocks. And he spent days and nights by himself out in the desert and wilderness around his home in, near Bethlehem. And as, a, as an adult, there are two recorded accounts that we have when David was in the wilderness of Judah. 
And both times were because he was running for his life. There were people who were close to him and who wanted to eliminate him and his God-given position as the king of Israel. And at, near the end of this passage, you will see they, David infers this. But those plotting to destroy me will come to ruin. They will go down into the depths of the earth. They will die by the sword and become the food of jackals. So the first wilderness experience recorded is in 1 Samuel 23. And David is fleeing for his life from King Saul. Saul is out to get him, to take him down. God had chosen uh, David, remember, to replace Saul as the next king. And Saul knew that, and David knew that. And Saul wasn't going to let that happen. So he chased David with a full army. And David escaped into the wilderness of Judah. Eventually, King Saul was killed in battle, and David became king. The second wilderness experience is recorded in 2 Samuel 15 and 16. At this time, David is fleeing from his son Absalom. Absalom has raised a mutiny, intended to take over the throne from his father, take it away. So he organized a following, had an army, and, and uh, declared himself as a new king. And David and his followers and his small army fled into the wilderness of Judah for protection. And that seems to fit the words of Psalm 63 the best of the wilderness experiences. Psalm 3 is, is linked to this experience. Psalm 3, it tells us in the introduction, a psalm of David who fled from his son Absalom. And he opens the psalm with these words, O Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against us? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. David may have written this poem when he was out in the wilderness or may have written it in reflection afterwards. But he certainly was in this harsh wilderness, far away from the comforts of the palace and his position as Israel's king. It was a stressful wilderness experience. Life had taken a twisted and unpleasant term, turn. There was pain. There was division in David's family. And his own son was responsible for it. So here he was, the king, royalty, living in exile from his own people. He was hated and hunted by his own son and, and his own army. And they were bent on taking the throne of Israel from him. Now, if we had met David, and we wouldn't know anything about the Psalms, if we had met David, we're a reporter in the wilderness out there doing a report for the, the Jerusalem Times. And we meet him and we say, we, we kind of, what are we going to expect from a man, a man in this position, a man on the run? Would we experience, see a man who's angry, who's scared, who's bitter, who's questioning God, depressed? Well, Psalm 63 is a doorway into David's mind and heart. And the real David shows up under pressure. And it reveals the spiritual gold in his inner being. Not that he was a holier than thou, but he was a man after God's own heart, remember. And he lived it out internally. So we can relate to, uh, to the context of this psalm. Like David, 
We are vulnerable to all kinds of difficult circumstances and experiences and reversals in life. Those are the times we're in the wilderness of life. If you haven't been there, you will be. If you're there right now, uh, you understand. And when you get into the wilderness, you'll understand. <clears throat> so how do you and I feel when things turn on us? When people let us down? When we lose a loved one? When we're dealing with sickness and disease? When our family dynamics are unhealthy and stressful? That's when the real us shows up under pressure. And we can personalize the spirit of this psalm. We can choose to react and respond to life's trials and pain by turning away from God, turning on God. Or we can reach out to God in heartfelt worship and trust in the similar spirit that David did. And as we read this psalm, and hear the words, we can, we can hear and feel David's heart and passion for the Lord in this Jewish hymn. <clears throat> Someone has given a very simple outline, and it's uh, three Ds. So if, if you like to make notes like that, we're not here to dissect, you know, an academic exercise. We're here to get a sense of how to worship in times of difficulty. But here is a good outline that Derek Kidner has given. God is my desire, that's verses 1 to 4. God is my delight, verses 5 to 8. And God is my defense, verses 9 to 11. So let's learn from David what it means to worship the Lord in the face of trials. And I'm going to suggest three things. By centering on God, that's by seeking God. By focusing on God, that is enjoying God. And by depending on God, that is, trusting God. So what is your desert place? <laughs> maybe you've been there, maybe you're there, maybe you will face one. What's that unwanted situation in your life that you wish it wasn't there, you wish it could change it? Well, let that be a, a bit of a backdrop this morning for turning to the Lord in the spirit of this psalm. <clears throat> when you face a trial like David, Let's seek God with all of our heart. It's all about seeking God. That's what David is expressing here in this opening verses. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. <clears throat> oh God, you are my God. <clears throat> God's, or David's life center was not as king. It was not, that's not what was the center of his life. It was God. He believed that God was in control of everything. And he knew that God had made him to be the king of Israel. He knew that God had chosen him through Samuel the prophet, you remember. He was just a teenager, and God told Samuel to anoint this young man to be the next king. And so for David, nothing else mattered as much as worshiping God. It was the primary law that Jesus pointed to that was at David's heart center. The Lord our God is one God. Therefore, love the Lord your God with all your heart and strength and soul and mind. 
And when David found himself a fugitive in the wilderness, his first instinct was to bring himself under the authority of his God. You are my God. Rather than falling apart, he falls on God in worship. Rather than trying to fixate on the dilemma, he fixates on God. And so that's a model for us. To worship God in our dark times is to submit ourselves to him and call out to him from our inner being. You are my God. My God. I hope you can say that this morning in a genuine way. God, you are my God. Because he wants to be the center of our life. That nothing else takes that place that God is at the center. So that our, our lives revolve around him, not around ourselves or something else or someone else. Jesus was centered on the Heavenly Father as he faced the constant challenges and, and opposition of the religious leaders of his day. And he said it in different ways, but one way he said it is, I've come to do the will of my Father in heaven and to finish his work. That was his life center. How do we make God our God? It begins by, first of all, recognizing that God has given us his Son to be the way to be the bridge, to be the avenue in order to know God. Jesus said, I am, my Father is in heaven, and I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to my Father except through me. It's through Jesus. Eternal life is in Jesus. The person who has Jesus has eternal life. The person who does not have Jesus does not have eternal life. To have Jesus is to have God. And he invites us to trust Christ as our Savior, as our way to the Father. Not only was God the center of David's life, but David had a hunger for God in his life. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you. He's living out that you shall love the Lord your God with everything about yourself. And he had this deep desire for God like a thirsty person in a hot, dry area longing for something to drink. Now we have to go back to the summer, right, to kind of appreciate that. When, you know, when you'd be just hungering for thirst when it was so hot and dry. God was more than a distant deity to David. He was intimately aware and acquainted with God and God's character. So he says in verse 2, I've seen you in the sanctuary. I beheld your power and glory. Your love is better than life. David knew God in a personal way. David was totally committed to seeking God and honoring him as his God. So to worship God in our dark times means we give ourselves to him without any reservation, no matter what, no matter what, we're unreserved in our commitment to God. This is not a mindless, lifeless way of hopeless living. This is intentionally enjoying God as we look in the next set of verses. So to worship God in difficult times is to enjoy God 
Enjoy him with all of our soul. And David praised God. Verse 5, my soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. His soul, his inner being, was satisfied as he offered up worship to God. Praising God brought joy and satisfaction to him like a gourmet meal. It just satisfied him. And there's no hint of bitterness or anxiety in David's heart, even though he had ever reason to be that way. So when David was uprooted from the comforts of home and the throne and faced with uncertainty, he turns to God in a spirit of praise and contentment. And worshiping God in our dark times brings a contentment that nothing else can. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? How do we do that? How do we enjoy God? Well, we reflect on Him. We give Him praise. We glorify Him. And we can express praise to God in, in a variety of ways. <clears throat> if you're a writer or a journalist, <clears throat> it may be, excuse me, <clears throat> it may be through poetry or journaling. If you are Musical, it may be through playing an instrument, making music, or singing, or if you're an artist, drawing to express praise and worship to God. <clears throat> so as David prays God, he's also meditating on him. In verse 6, on my bed I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. So every three hours, there'd be a change of guards. So he's awake at those times. And when he's awake, his mind turns to God, not to his problem. And he was determined to cling to God and enjoy him. Verse 7, because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. My soul clings to you. That was an, that's an interesting word, my soul clings to you. In Genesis, we read this. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and cling to his wife. That's what David is talking about. Like the commitment of marriage, the permanent and passionate commitment. I'm together with God. And he's meditating. He's thinking about these things. <clears throat> and he's determined to enjoy him. Worshiping God in our difficult times is the key to living above our circumstances instead of under them. And so we need to make up our mind to enjoy God no matter what. Enjoy God no matter what. First, we need to enjoy God when things are going well, because let me tell you, if you can't enjoy God when things are going well, you're not going to enjoy God when things are not going well. It's so foreign. So we simply continue enjoying him when things go bad. We keep on doing what we've been doing. It becomes instinctive. It's a spiritual in-breathing. You can picture Paul and Silas. They're on this missionary journey in the book of Acts in chapter 16, and they've encountered a lot of opposition. In fact, they've been arrested, and they've been 
stripped and beaten. That means their back was whipped and is bleeding and they're hurting. And they're in, in solitary confinement, chained in a, in a prison. So if you were a journalist and you interviewed them, what would you expect to find? Well, at midnight, the scriptures tell us, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Maybe they were singing Psalm 63. <clears throat> Enjoying God protects us from focusing on ourselves and feeling sorry for ourselves and trying to play God. In these last three verses of this psalm, we see the matter of trusting God. He's trusting God with everything about himself. They who seek my life will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God's name will praise him while the mouths of liars will be stopped. How much did David trust God? Well, when Absalom was fighting his father, and it was inevitable that David's army would meet up with Absalom and his army. And David gave them instructions. Oh, first of all, I'm getting ahead of myself here. He trusted, uh, David trusted God about getting the throne back. Because David said this, he will bring me back if I find favor in his eyes. He will bring me back if I find favor in his eyes. And he's out there on the run. But that's his confidence, that's his trust. And he gave God the full rights about his present and future. So let me read first six verses of Psalm 3, which is tied with this occasion. O Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you, Lord, are a shield around me. You bestow glory on me and lift up my head. To the Lord I cry aloud, and he answers me from his holy hill. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear the tens of thousands drawn up against me on every side. Really? Really. That was real with David. Worshiping God in our difficult times <clears throat> frees us to trust God about the unknown rather than being anxious. Now I'm drawing a distinction between chronic anxiety, which is, a, is something different than just anxiety, you know, being worried about something. Because, and we all face that kind of thing. And David did too. But rather than being anxious and and having anxiety about things, this gives us a fresh opportunity to trust God in, in, a, in a fresh and deeper way. <clears throat> so David not only put his future in God's hands, but he put his circumstances in God's hands. He handed justice over to God. They who seek my life will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They'll be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. And when his men in the wilderness were out against Absalom, he gave them these destructions. 
instructions. He gave it to the commander-in-chief. He said, do not harm Absalom. When you catch him, don't hurt him. That's how much David put his life in God's hands. And this was the way of Christ, wasn't it? As he faced life. He gave us an example that we should follow in his steps. When he was reviled and when he was mistreated, he didn't return like with like, but rather he committed himself to him who judges righteously, even to the point of taking our sins on himself and going to the cross. Worshiping God empowers us to rest our case in God's hands when we encounter the trials of life. This was the way of Job when he was blindsided by catastrophes. And one day in a 24-hour period, he lost his 10 adult children. His entire business operation was stolen and his labor force was stolen. And he was left with just his wife which turned out to be not a good thing. Not, not speaking against you wives. But you know what she felt about it. He had this, it was just, it's just like the hurricane force storms that would come and just clear off an island. That's what his life was like. But he blessed God. In fact, that, story is a basis that I think is for the song Blessed Be Your Name. It was written by Matt Redman and his wife Beth. It was written in response to the tragedy of uh, 9-11, September the 11th, the attacks in the United States. And Matt says this, in all seasons of life the hymn calls us to bless the name of God. Though unproblematic when life is going well, it is certainly a tall order to bless God for many who have experienced intense grief or the loss of a loved one. The bridge in the song reinforces this cause, this call to bless God in all circumstances. Quote, you give and take away. My heart will choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. Many of you know um, Ben and Alicia Dewberry. They're missionaries in Belize. <clears throat> Ben's mother is my sister in Winnipeg, and she's in late stages of ALS. This is the spirit of she and her husband, Bob, Bob and Gail. And they share this with, if I can say, um, Brian and Carol Malott. A few months ago, after church, I arranged for them to FaceTime with each other on my iPad. And I've spent time with, with my brother, uh, sister, and her husband. Spent time with Carol and Brian. And this is their spirit. These are people facing difficult, difficult things. And yet they have the spirit of worshiping God, of trusting him and finding peace and contentment. Friday night, I FaceTime with my sister, and uh, I said, I'm going to go to the piano, and I'll play something for you. What, do you. what do you want me to play? So she said, how great the Father's love. 
That's one of the songs she has chosen for her funeral. And so uh, I didn't have the words before me, and usually I have words, so I'm playing and trying to sing, but my sister has them all memorized, and she's in tears, and she can hardly get the words out, but she's singing the song. That's where they live. And that's where we need to live in worshiping God. Worshiping in the face of trials is real for people who put themselves in God's hands. We always want to know the end of the story in life, don't we? Well, we can read about the end of the story in, in David's life. He did get the throne back. His son did get murdered by David's military captain, went against David's wishes. But what will happen to us in our situation? And by the way, God carried out his justice in David's case. Well, our story is still being written. Every day is another chapter in our story. And our part is to keep trusting and following God no matter what. Because God's justice and his purpose and glory will be fulfilled. He's doing that every day of our life. Psalm 63 encourages us to see trials for what they are. Not things to be feared, but opportunities for us to trust God. If I didn't have problems, I wouldn't know that he could solve them, the song says. David is a testimony and example for us in this psalm. We learn from him. But you know, you and I are testimonies and examples to others in need. Because every time we encounter a difficult situation, how we respond, others read. And they take from that. And when we cling to God and worship him in the midst of trials and troubles, we get to encourage one another. One of the blessings of sharing life together, that is being part of a church family and being involved in each other's lives, one of the blessings is we get to see each other living out their faith. Get to see each other worshiping God in difficult times. And that's why it's important to share life together. Ferdinand Ortega is a Christian songwriter and singer and he has a version that he's put together of Psalm 63. And I'd like to sing that for you this morning as we come to put a benediction on this Psalm 63. <clears throat> he calls it better than life. Oh God, you are my God. 
earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, and my flesh yearns for you. In a dry and weary land where there is no water, I remember you at night through the watches of the night. In the shadow of your wing, I sing because you help me. My soul clings to you, and your hand upholds me. God alone. 